Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Week underway here at Soccer Morning. Backheel.com. If you are in the Northeast, I hope you are... Well, it's not coming down that hard yet, is it? Producer Trevor lives in the Northeast. Says it's coming down pretty good where he is. Blizzard conditions suspected, expected, suspected, expected for our New York, Boston, uh, points, uh, points north, points north of me. I have a light snow. We are fighting through (laughs) what is just a light snow so far this morning on a Monday. So if you are in any of those areas that are going to be affected, just stay safe. Okay. Just hopefully you got your toilet paper and your bottled water and you're going to be safe. We do have an excellent program for you today. Alexi Lawless will join us at the bottom of the hour. 10.30 a.m. Eastern. Until then, we have plenty of time to take your phone calls, your tweets, your conversation from anything that happened over the weekend. Plenty of things to talk about. The FA Cup delivered a couple of shocking results. We'll get to a story. Uh, we'll get to a story out of the, the uh, FA Cup in Cambridge United, who played to a, a goalless draw with Manchester United on Friday and therefore gets a replay at Old Trafford. What that means for that small club, those, uh, those replay windfalls are a big deal for clubs like Cambridge United. We'll get to that. Here's your uh, headlines for the t- for today. Again, Alexi Lawless at 10.30. Your headlines for today, coming out of the weekend, Chelsea, Man City, crash out of the FA Cup. As I mentioned, Manchester United played to a goalless draw against Cambridge United. Middlesbrough beat Manchester City 2-0. Chelsea falls 4-2 in the FA Cup. And... This is the this is the cool thing about this uh the the cool thing about Google. When you go to Google and you type in MLS or, or Premier League or whatever, you get a you get a you get an actual like scoreboard. It gives you a scoreboard for that league. In this case, Chelsea lost to Bradford in the in the um in the, cha- in the FA Cup, excuse me, 4-2 to Bradford. Shocking, shocking result. But the, but the Google scoreboard doesn't have Bradford. It has the Bantams. <laughs> so you, I mean, it's the only team that gets this treatment. I don't understand. Derby County, Crystal Palace won. Leicester beat Tottenham in the FA Cup. So they're another Premier League side going out. Leicester's obviously a Premier League side as well, but the bottom end of it. Sunderland, Fulham played to a goalless draw. Liverpool and Bolton. Bolton gets a replay against Liverpool. Aston Villa advances. West Ham advances. Arsenal over Brighton 3-2. And you have one game today. Rochdale and Stoke City. Looking forward to that one. But the Bantams. Big shocking upset. Anyway, Moving on, as I mentioned, Cambridge United with a, a goalless draw against Manchester United in the FA Cup, and they'll get a replay at Old Trafford. And what, what do you think they're going to do with that windfall of cash? One million dollars, sorry, one million pounds likely to be earned by Cambridge United via that replay against Manchester United. Cambridge United will spend their FA Cup windfall sprucing up the toilets, says Chairman Dave Doggett. Hopefully we can get the stadium done and start putting in some proper toilets, he told the Sunday Mirror. Some toilets and T-bars and more hospitality. That's what we'll do. 
is uh, Cambridge United has been uh, desperate to upgrade their eight thousand capacity stadium, which has uh, which for nine years was a non-league ground and is now a league ground with the clubs move up to League Two. So there you go. That's what you do with your cash when you're Cambridge United and you earn a replay against Manchester United in the FA Cup. Juan Roman Riquelme has retired from football at the age of 36. 51 appearances for Argentina, 17 goals, an absolute legend at Boca Juniors, a guy with uh, an incredible ability to hit a free kick and an incredible eye for a pass. If you've never seen Riquelme play, you have missed out. 17-year career comes to an end. He says he'll now just be a fan. He played for, obviously, Boca Juniors is where he made his name. He played for Barcelona, Villarreal, before going back to Argentina, finishing his career now with Argentinos Juniors. And as I said, 51 appearances for Argentina over 11 years, 17 goals. Just an amazing player. One of those guys didn't break out into international stardom, but again, within his sphere, within that world of South American football, certainly was a legendary player who did some legendary things down there in Argentina. Real Madrid is being investigated for signing youth players. You remember after Barcelona's recent transfer ban, the punishment for signing players under the age of 18 from outside the country, outside of the FIFA rules. Now, Real Madrid is also being investigated for the same thing. Real Madrid are being investigated by FIFA as it tries to determine whether the Champions League winners have followed rules relating to the transfer of young players. Officials at the world's governing body want to establish whether Real have breached Article 19 of its regulation on the transfer of players. The article prohibits the transfer of players under the age of 18 except in certain predetermined situations. FIFA's investigation may have started over the cases of Venezuelan youngsters Manuel Godoy and Fernando Macias, who were brought to Madrid by Miguel Angel Coria, Cuara, an Argentinian ex-player who runs a school for players in Madrid. The report revealed that the agreements between Real and the feeder clubs included a clause stating that all their players in every age group must be available to Madrid squads. That would certainly be outside of Article 19 and illegal. We'll see what happens. Now, again, this is not only is this interesting because of what happened with Barcelona, it's also interesting because of Real Madrid just signing Martin Odegaard, 16-year-old Martin Odegaard. And the story there goes, oh, Martin Odegaard's dad got a job with Real Madrid. This is very, um, you know, for, for those of you who are not familiar with this happening on the international level, so this type of stuff happens a lot in, in high school sports, in high school record, recruiting. We get, uh, we get, we get the player who, move, who goes to a school almost exclusively because he's being offered something, his dad's being offered something, all of that shady behind the scenes stuff. This is a little less shady because you can pay the 16-year-old to come join your club. But the, the elements of the player not being 
The element of the player's p- parents or family being given certain considerations. That's what may not be within the rules as prescribed by FIFA. So we have a big Monday show for you, Alexi Lalas, coming up at 10.30. In the meantime, open up the phone lines, 347-756-6276. Again, jump in with anything that you want to talk about. Those FA Cup results, surprising as they are. You know, again, the Africa Cup of Nations is still going on. Not go, still going on. Still in the group stage. Meanwhile, the Asian uh, Cup is advancing rapidly towards a final. And we hear that, I hear rumors today that Tim Cahill may actually be in negotiations to leave the New York Red Bulls. Which, yeah, you know, it's a difficult thing to kind of put some context around Tim Cahill's experience in, in New York. At one point, he was the heart and soul of that team. It was a guy that seemed to embody what the New York Red Bulls were supposed to be. He was a Mike Pecky type of player. All he ever did was bust his ass. We know about his insane ability to go up and head a ball into a goal. And he did that several times for the Red Bulls when they needed it. Last year was not a good year, though. Ended up being benched down the stretch. Outplayed by guys making a fraction of his salary. And now you have Thierry Henry having left. And Cahill is uh, in... Negotiations report. This is a report. It's spurious. Let's be honest here. Tim Cahill in talks with Awada FC of the United Arab Emirates. Well, again, is this a Red Bull fans? You're already going through this remaking of your team in the light of Mike Pecky being fired, Jesse Marsh coming on board, Henri leaving. Is it is it a big deal if Cahill leaves? Two oh seven. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, I was wondering, was Cahill a success? That's that's a good question. I mean, if, if he leaves now, I'm going to say he was. Man, I don't know. Uh, if you if you had if I had to pick one or the other, I'm going to say yes, but only because he yeah, had. Yeah, Henri definitely was, in my opinion, but Cahill. It's, it's difficult to say. I mean, it really is because again, he had some moments where he was. Very important to that team. But he never fit positionally. They never found where he worked best in that team. He wasn't a forward. It's not really his position. Then he moves back into the midfield. Okay, well, where do you put him? He's not really a provider. You need him to be close to goal. If you play him deeper than that, if you want him to be some sort of two-way midfielder, then you're really not taking full advantage of his ability, certainly within MLS. I I think a lot of this is on... A lot of this is on... Tim Cahill's a very unique player. I don't, I don't even know if you can blame him necessarily because I think for the most part he was committed. And then last year you had that little kerfuffle over his international responsibilities and Mike Pecky not being too happy with him leaving. But I get that. I mean, I understand why Tim Cahill feels responsible to play for Australia. Yeah, and uh, what do you think of the uh, Matt Miazga rumors? Uh, I would like to see him stay in MLS. I don't like yeah, that. I, I don't agree like with that. you. Yeah, so. I'm not a big fan of this. I mean, I know Leipzig's got cash. I know, look, there's that that, uh, that connection between the two clubs. I don't know how yeah, that plays Yeah, it makes you wonder out. why Red Bull isn't giving the New York Red Bulls more cash. So. Well, there's that. I mean, certainly, uh, I, I you can argue that uh, the way things look right now in Harrison, it's a strange 
situation. It's almost like we are, uh, we're not comfortable with the money that we're giving to the Red Bulls. They didn't succeed. They didn't win an MLS Cup. So let's just go ahead and cut them off. We're going to cut off all of their yeah. allowances. And, and now, again, Terry Henry's leaving. Very, very high potential that Tim Cahill leaves. Selling Matt Miazga. That's, that's the one that, um, if I'm a Red Bull fan, that's the one that bothers me most, most of those, of those things. You knew Henry was going to retire. You, you probably can, can make him. Yeah, and you've got, uh, Marsh and Curtis talking about the youth and how they want the youth. To right, go. exactly. And you can make your peace with Cahill going. Isaac on Twitter won't speak for all Red Bull fans, but I'm pleased Cahill's going. Didn't fit on the field and tweeted daily about Everton. So there was that. Like, you, you certainly, uh, I know, I know there were some Red Bull fans out there who didn't like the fact that Tim Cahill seemed, and he did look, he was, he was there and he played and he was, uh, an Evertonian through and through, but, you are a Red Bull now. Maybe make it about red, red, the Red Bulls right now rather than always going back to your Everton days. So I, I can imagine that Red Bull fans um, can make their peace with Cahill leaving, even if it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, I agree. Thanks. Right, I appreciate the phone call. 347-756-6276. He'll stick with you here until Alexi Lawless joins us at 1030. We're going to hit on the U-20s with Alexi, and I didn't hit this off the top in the news, but the U-20s did qualify when i say u20s i mean the united states u20s of course they did qualify for the u20 world cup with a win a two nothing win over el salvador in the Concacaf championships down in jamaica that was a it was one of those um world cup playing games uh, mexico ended up winning the championship over panama the united states did not put themselves in a position to compete with that because or compete for that championship because of their poor results in the opening two games but now, but the goal was always to go down and qualify. That was always the goal. And Zabramos got it done. Again, some hiccups at the beginning, made some changes, adjusted the formation, went with his guys. Now, he found a group he liked, and he stuck with them. And there was some concern. I saw a couple of people that I respect on Twitter expressing some concern about fatigue going into the game against El Salvador. But they handled their business. You got to go from... Uh, got a goal from Spencer. Can't remember who scored the second one. I need to pull this up. Who scored the second goal for the U20s, Trevor? That's what you're here for. 2 nothing over El Salvador. Anyway, so moving on into the World Cup period for, for that team. There's going to be an addition of a couple of, of pieces there, more than likely. Rubio Rabin will be in that team. You'll have a couple of other guys who will rotate out while some other players rotate in. This is the, the question as we look at what the U20s did, and, and I'll put this to Alexi Lalas. How important is making the World Cup? How important is doing well at the World Cup? Is it about the individual players and their individual tracks at their individual clubs? Or is it about this team success. How important is team success within a national team program for the youth cl- uh, youth sides? That's I think that's a very interesting philosophical element to what Tab Ramos is doing, to what Andreas Herzog will do with the U23s, and to what Jurgen Klinsmann is doing overall as technical director. These things are not. It's not really quantifiable. What's important? Do you, do you need the United States to go to New Zealand where the World Cup will be, the U-20 World Cup will be held from May 30th until June 20th? Do you need them to go 
and make noise, be a semifinalist, something like that. To feel good about this program, to feel good about the amount of talent. Paul Ariola scored the second goal. Thank you, Isaac. Do you need them to do that in order to feel good about where the United States stands right now? Or can you look at these players individually and say, hey, Paul Ariola is pretty good, and Bradford Jamison's pretty good, Tommy Thompson's pretty good, uh, Canoose is good, um, Hyman's good, Zach Steffen is really good, saved a penalty in that game. Can you just look at those individual players and say, I think we're, we're doing okay? Some of these guys may come through and actually make an, a, an appearance and a, and a difference in a senior uniform. And that's the case. Look, you've already got Jurgen Klinsmann looking to break in to bring in some of these younger guys. Emerson Hyman has been in a U.S. camp. These guys are getting an opportunity. Mark Pelosi released back to Liverpool, but in a camp for January. Those are the kind of players that you hope. And I know Mark Pelosi came back from an injury, but he must be somewhere decent if Klinsmann's calling him up. Hasn't, I don't think he's made his, de- his Liverpool debut yet, which is an interesting dynamic. Jurgen Klinsmann, by the way, also named a 23-man roster to take on Chile on Wednesday. Yes, that game's Wednesday, if you haven't been paying attention. 347-756-6276, the phone number. Big weekend of soccer around the world. The FA Cup in England. Real Madrid beating Cordoba to keep their maintain their lead in La Liga and Ronaldo picking up a red card. The only the only bad thing to come out of that match, uh yeah, Ronaldo picking up a red card. Now the question is whether or not Ronaldo is going to be suspended, how long he'll be suspended, and whether or not he will miss El Clasico coming up. Because it's very possible if his if his ban is extended if his punishment is set at more than a game or two, then he will miss that match. Real Madrid up one point in the standings right now on Barcelona. Atletico Madrid, four points back. If you remember last week, we talked to our friend David Cartledge about this upcoming week of fixtures. None of them were particularly scary for the Spanish top Spanish sides. And you maintain that very narrow gap at the top for Real Madrid. After again, after beating Cordoba, and if you saw R- Ronaldo, what what is what was he doing exactly? Little kick slap action. What was that all about? Throwing a little tantrum. The competition committee for La Liga will meet Wednesday to decide what his ban will be. Could be one between one and four games. The minimum is one game. Obviously, he would miss just this weekend against Sociedad. If it's if it's three, he would miss. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, he would miss a derby match. Fourth game against would be against Deportivo La Coruña. I don't know if I read this wrong. Perhaps I read this wrong. Wrong. It would be a, a the uh, the Madrid derby that he would miss. That's a big match, obviously. Again, Atletico Madrid not that far back, right there. A team that continues to defy with their defy expectations with their uh, success. A, pro, a Champions League finalist and now 
again fighting for a potential title in La Liga. Valencia in fourth right now, Sevilla, Villarreal, Malaga. Three four seven seven five six six two seven six. Get Alexi Lalas on in just a couple of minutes. What's your what's your takeaway from the weekend? What's your game that you what what's your surprise result? Where's your thoughts and uh an interest? Are you laughing at Chelsea today? Is that a situation? <laughs> can we can we laugh at Chelsea? Or is this just the way that the FA Cup is? The magic of the cup. Mourinho and Chelsea hand uh, uh, falling to Bradford City. And again, they were not supposed to lose. And again, it's, it's the FA Cup. How important is it? Hmm, I don't know, but it was at home. Reports out of uh, London saying that Jose Mourinho gave his team the silent treatment. After this match, they were up to they were up to nothing and then lost four to two. What did I say to the players? Nothing, not a word. It wasn't a moment to speak to them. <laughs> I can just imagine that. Must be a, a amazing, <laughs> amazing locker room atmosphere when Jose Mourinho walks in. After you've lost to Bradford City, Bradford City, Bradford City, stunning stuff. All right, let's go ahead and break. And when we come back, let's go ahead and grab Alexi Lawless. It's a little bit early. He's ready. I'm ready. Let's talk some U20s in U.S. program direction. Soccer morning on a Monday. Backheel.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go on the phone line with me now, Alexi Lalas from Fox Sports. It's going to take some getting used to, Alexi, but I got it first time. No problems because I'm a professional. How are you, sir? I am good. Good morning. Good morning Uh, to you. I'm coming to you live from my uh, kitchen counter. At your kitchen counter, are you pondering... Soccer's uh, soccer in this uh, in this uh, crazy world of ours, pondering perhaps maybe the U twenties qualifying for the U twenty World Cup later on this year in New Zealand by beating El Salvador. Is that is that running through your head? Because I have some questions about what you make of of what Ramos is doing, what Klinsman is doing, and what the uh, the U twenties are meant to be. Yeah, I, I perpetually ponder uh, about. Uh, things like this and <laughs> and other things. This is what I do with my day. Um, and at times I come up with what I think are brilliant answers and, and solutions to the problems uh, of the day, um, only to find out that there are other questions and other problems or 
they're not the right answers and solutions. Yeah. But this is what we do. Well, it's it's a it's obviously a complicated, convoluted situation we have here with uh, with the U twenties and and American soccer and questions of style and all of those things. And I love talking about that stuff, Alexi. You and I could probably do that for hours. When you look at what this team did on the field, uh, you know, consider the conditions. I guess everybody had to play on them. Consider the competition. Uh, you know, eight nothing against Aruba doesn't tell you much, but hey, they they got the job done. Two nothing against El Salvador when it mattered, but they didn't start out very well. And it seemed to me that rather than sort of solidifying some notion of what they want to be or what they want to install at at that level under Tab Ramos and whatever trickles down from Jurgen Klinsmann, they sort of I don't know about reverted. It certainly wasn't an issue of passing the ball around. They did that against everybody. But they ended up going with two strikers, and, and you saw a certain, um, I don't know, you saw Ramos sort of acknowledge that they needed to play a different way to win games. What does that mm-hmm. mean? Well, you know, when I look at it, and, and I talked to Tab um, during the tournament, and I asked him point blank a, a couple of things. Um, number one, does he think that he's doing a disservice when he changes tournament to um, the four four two, which all the players and Tab readily admit they are much more comfortable playing when if the ultimate goal is to get these players to the full team and to graduate and matriculate, um, other formations are being preferred. And he said, well, look, I'm not graduating teams. I'm graduating individual players. And at times I want to put them into difficult situations. And there was a pragmatic approach. And, and that led me to ask him, well, how much influence does uh, Jurgen Klinsmann as the national team coach or the technical director have on you as the under 20 coach slash youth technical director. And he said, absolutely none. It was his job to figure out how the team was to play the formation and how he wanted to approach it. And there was a pragmatism that came in. Um, I know it's sacrilegious to say, but I would have much preferred to see this team play on synthetic surface. Uh, the field was horrible and it, it weakened the U S team. Uh, and it strengthened other teams. I think this U.S. team is much better than it showed. So there was an element of just get to the World Cup because that type of experience for these players individually uh, is much more beneficial than trying to do something that might not work in the moment. But do I care if a U.S. youth team wins a a youth World Cup? Um, Do I care? Not really. Uh, all, all, I would love to have the team be successful and have the individual players doing things in a way that is going to prepare them to move on to the next level. If I can't have both, then I'd much rather have the team doing things on a continual basis that prepares them for the next level. Because okay. this is about winning the full men's World Cup. And sure. if it's not, what are we doing? This is about development, and that gets into the whole vertical integration thing. <laughs> so it was, it was a fascinating study as to what this team was, but also what it was in the context of development within U.S. soccer. And when a U.S. soccer capital, U.S. federation. Do you get the sense that they, that they wrestle with that at the federation level, that, that Ramos yep. wrestles with it, that Klinsman wrestles with it? Yeah, because this, this vertical integration that we talk so much about is different when it comes to a federation as opposed to a club that is nurturing uh, and uh, and teaching these these players in a club scenario um, with much more of a cultural thing. You have much more time with them. Uh, there is an understanding as to what's happening. Um, 
as opposed to a national team where you're just coming in and you are um, you're, you're dealing as a coach. In this case, Tab Ramos is, is dealing with players who are coming in and playing com- possibly completely different systems and styles, and then they have to quickly adapt and, and change when they come in. So, it's, look, it, it's not it, it's not easy at all. I'm glad that this team qualified. I think that there are some interesting players on this team because I looked at this uh, this tournament. Uh, completely as, is there anybody out there that I think at some point could help the national team win a World Cup? And, and there's a couple uh, of players out there. There's certainly a core of very skilled technical players, but we've, we've seen this now for a couple of generations here where we identify these skilled players, but they don't really play a position. They're these tweeners, but we're so worried about losing technically gifted players that we don't really give them a position. And once again, that balance of how much do you force them into playing a position as opposed to giving them the freedom to do what they need to do. And these are the questions that Tab and and all technical directors uh, deal with when going about their business. Uh, Well, that's interesting to consider because at this level, we've moved on to a situation where these guys are almost, you know, almost across the board attached to clubs on some level. They're in academies, they're coming through. Some of them have played at the senior level, Emerson Hyman, obviously Tommy Thompson Mm -hmm. in San Jose. They have positions in their club atmosphere, in their club environments. They are they have been uh, developed to that point, or they've been signed and and, and, and uh, given a, a place to play on the field. And when they're ready to go, that's where they play. Maybe they bounce around a little bit as 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 uh, senior level head coaches try to figure out the best way to use them. But for the most part, that's established. Are you saying that when they come into the to the national team setup, it's kind of well? They actually have a skill set we don't have a lot of, so we're going to move you rather than use you where you're best suited because you're 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 used to that. No, I'm just saying that the the habits that they develop are primarily formed in their club situation, uh, and so when they come into the federation, when you're trying to do this development and and this integration between different age groups, it's a lot more difficult than in the club level and. You know, this is this is why I, I think you know being able to articulate what you're trying to do as a technical director, I think, is absolutely paramount. Whether it's for a club or whether it's for a federation, to be able to come out and say, "This is what I expect of Tab Ramos in this situation," and if it's if it's look, I don't care if he wins or not. I just want him to play a certain system and have the players be put in that system and see how they fare then it should be out. It should be public. And whether it's Jurgen Klinsmann or anybody else should be out saying, this is what we are asking. And when you judge this team and this coach, do it in the context of what we are asking, mm. not necessarily in terms of wins and losses, unless that's exactly what you want, in which right. case you come out very publicly and say, it's all about winning. I don't care how it is done. And in that, maybe our, our players and our coaches gain valuable experience on how at a certain point, which happens in all of soccer, it doesn't matter about style, doesn't matter about formation, just find a way to get the win because there are other circumstances that maybe mean you can't do exactly and ideally what you want. It seems to me that, that you've identified the, the situation where Klinsman feels like he can have it both ways. I mean, I, don't, I haven't heard him say our goal is to win at this level, or, or, or heard him say, we want to play the style and who cares what, what the score is, because, you know, there's a moment of panic. Oh, gosh, we're playing our, our, our quote-unquote in, vertically integrated style and we're not getting the results we need. Let's change it up so that we can get to the World Cup because on, on some level, perception matters 
for the future of the team and the future of the program. Yeah, but the perception of actually winning a World Cup and having a player that graduates to the full team that helps you at some point uh, become successful will always will always win out. And so when we talk about, you know, once again, Tab said, said he wasn't. I'm not graduating teams. I'm graduating players. So if I watch a tournament or if I watch a game, and there is a player within a formation that is familiar and is employed at a higher level that excels and consistently excels. That for me is so much more important than the team winning the game or even the team going to the World Cup. Do I want them to win the game? Do I want them to go to the World Cup? Absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, Jurgen, and when I, when I say Jurgen, I, I, I know we have to do this. I'm talking about him as the technical director right, right now. <laughs> when, when I say Jurgen, when, when, he's, when he's talking about these teams, um, you know, I would, I would love him to be. Uh, you know, much more clear and concise and articulate exactly what he is expecting out of these, uh, out of these coaches and of these players. Because to a certain extent, it's not fair for us on the outside to judge these coaches unless we have a clear-cut understanding of what their mandate is from above. And if there's no mandate from above, okay, that's, that's a whole other way that, that we incorporate into our, into our judgment right now. But, you know, these, these, are, all, these are all wonderful things that are going on in soccer right now, trying to figure it out. And not just in the United States or in North America, it happens all over the place. How do you, how do you evolve and how do you give a situation to these individual players within a team setting that prepares them for the next level? And how do you reconcile that with the fact that this is a game that is based on winning and losing? What is the, what, what changes at the U23 level, and what do you uh, what do you make of the uh, decision to to give the coaching reins of the U23s to Andreas Herzog? Uh, what changes? And, and actually, Tab mentioned this too. He said, "Look, I'm dealing with a lot of players here that are just starting their professional career. You know, some are further along than others, but some of them are just starting and getting into what it means to be a professional on and off the field and that type of experience. So when you get to the under 23 level, uh, you have a whole lot more guys that are that are much more ingrained into systems and much more, they have much more better understanding of what it is to be a professional. Now, now that can be good and that can be bad depending on the situation that they're in. For Andreas Herzog, uh, he's had now experience in what the national team situation, the federation is, and, and more importantly, what the American landscape is when it comes to, uh, uh, to soccer. I don't know yet because once again, it hasn't been articulated um, as to what, his responsibility is or what is what, what that mandate is for him. You know, I would assume it's once again, to make sure that he is getting these players in positions and in experiences that is going to help Jurgen Klinsmann so that those players can graduate on slash get to the Olympics. Um, at, at which point you can be in that tournament setting. You can be playing on good field in a tournament setting that is important. That is part of, uh, of getting players experience that experience of being in a tournament can be incredibly valuable. And, and, you know, we talk about the horrible fields down there in, in Jamaica, but even that experience down there, it, it, some of these players might at some point be playing in CONCACAF qualifying and it's not easy and the fields aren't great and the situation isn't great and you have to find a way to win. And then there comes a point where the greater good is getting to a world cup and you just have to do whatever you have to do when you're talking about the full team. Certainly, that yeah. Certainly, there's there's something to be said for that, and we we know that the, that these guys 
aren't always going to be playing in in perfect conditions. At the same time, though, I mean, they they most of them are in clubs that you know have a a certain level of of um, training facility of of field condition. How how what's that like to go from you know to go from I don't know Fulham for Hyman for example. Uh, where you know, I'm sure the the grass is pretty manicured out there on the training fields, and then to to go down to Jamaica, and you know, now you're playing on what I what I uh, I called sort of a a Lego field. It seemed like there right. there were more bumps than flat spots. Yeah, I mean, a, a skill for a soccer player is adaptation and your ability to first off recognize the situation before you actually get out there, understand that the things that that you may that you may do on a consistent basis in one scenario aren't going to work there, and to be able to adjust. I actually thought Emerson Hyman more than more than a lot of players adjusted very very well because he still was that uh, that that rhythmic part of the team uh, on the ball in the things that he did, but he was put at a disadvantage because the field wasn't good, and he still was able to do it on a consistent basis. And I think. The biggest thing for me when it comes to, to Hyman, and I think he is a, an absolute talent, I think him, guys like uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers, uh, the outside backs I thought were very, very good in uh, Riquejo and Moore. Um, the, the attacking part of it, I still think that they lack uh, a pure goal scorer, but you know, the, the, the U.S. Is in, of late certainly has not had that type of uh, player up there. But, but all of these players, I think Hyman really benefited because He's not that big a guy, actually. When you when you see him, he's really not that big a guy. But playing at Fulham, day in and day out, and understanding that just because you have skill doesn't mean that everybody's going to back off. And enable, enabling a player to incorporate that skill with the physical part and not get pushed off the ball, mm-hmm. uh, that was amazing for me to see and wonderful to see. And, and I think it bodes well for his future and for the national team's future that you know if, if, if Michael Bradley is the general – then I then I really look at Emerson Heidman at uh, as a little little general. How much of of getting to the to the World Cup for the U twenties is not just about winning, creating a culture of winning, putting it out, putting yourself out there is is one of the better uh, programs across the board in the world, but also about getting these kids some visibility. Now again, most of them are attached to to professional clubs already, but as we've seen with Matt Miazga, there's rumors he's going to be making the jump to uh Red Bull Leipzig. It, is it, there is an opportunity for some of these guys to take a different step should they be seen by the right scouts. This always seems to come around with youth, with youth tournaments. Absolutely. I mean, it is a stage and and it has been for years where because you're you're in that sweet spot when it comes to age where uh, the, the incredible upside is there. Uh, and, and look, hats off to Tab Ramos and, and to the Federation for getting Emerson Hyman released because they didn't have to release him. Uh, but I think that there was a recognition that, hey, if this team gets to the Olympics uh, and he can help them in that, in that endeavor right uh, here with Jamaica, if we release him, uh, he's going to be put on a stage. And if things go well, um, and we've seen it happen for, for other players, people, people will come calling. And so, yeah, it's, it's an incredible... Uh, stage and platform for talent. And if I was a player, that's the way I would be looking at it. Um, yeah, you want to represent your country, and yes, you want to do well, but these are all young, hungry players that are looking to play it, uh, at the highest level that they possibly uh, can and uh, to make as much money as they possibly can and all that kind of stuff. Well, 
nothing uh, increases your value uh, more than doing it on the international stage, as I can attest to. Mm. I'm going to turn uh, now to MLS very quickly before I let you go, Alexi. I feel like I'm taking up all of your, your hanging out in the kitchen time. Um, you, no obviously, we've, uh, we've been talking a lot about Sebastian Giovinco and his decision to leave Juventus and come to MLS and, and play with TFC. It's, it's a lot of money. There's certainly an element of that, and, and I don't begrudge any player the right to make as much money as they possibly can at their athletic peak. you you got to do that. Um, but now we get, we're in that stage of the process where people who know Giovinco and have coached Giovinco get to say things about his move. And in this case, it's mm-hmm. Antonio Conte, who's the, uh, the head coach of the, the Italy national team, former Juventus manager. And he's saying things like, hey, it's a no-brainer, or, or what is he supposed to do? And uh, that players will be elbowing each other out of the way to get to MLS in the future. How, how important is it message-wise for MLS that a guy like Conte is saying this? Or, and should we care at all? Uh, we sh- <clears throat> well, we, we always care. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, we always <laughs> care because, of, because the message is international. And so it is important. Um, in, in this case, if, if, if the message is the players are going to flock just because of the amount of money, uh, okay, that's a, that's a, that's okay. That's that's an okay message. But we've seen that message done in other places too that that don't have the greatest reputation for the level of soccer. So I I think it this is an, this is an important move that they pay a tremendous amount of money. Do they overpay? Absolutely. Uh, but that's that's the way that you are uh, able to do these types of things. Um, I I think that when it comes to this particular case and this particular player, he's coming into a situation right now where yes, he's making a tremendous amount of money. But he's also going to be put uh, under pressure. Is it the type of pressure you face day in and day out in, in Italy? Probably not. But when, they, when it comes to this TFC team, I love the fact that at a point when things didn't go well after they spent a lot of money and they could have taken their money off the table, they doubled down. And they said, uh, we, are not, we are going to continue to spend a lot of money and bring in big players. Now, this year, when you look at the fact that they are now playing in an Eastern Conference with uh, two expansion teams, six teams going to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's not even good enough right now with what they've done to get to the playoffs. And I know they'll celebrate that, and, and that would be a first-time type of achievement, but that's not even good enough the way I look at it when you look at this TFC team with the, with the talent that they have. They, getting to the playoffs shouldn't even be a question. Absolutely, they should get to, get to the playoffs with the, type of, uh, with the type of talent that they have. When it comes to Giovinco, I think it's a wonderful message for TFC. Uh, and more importantly, like you said, a wonderful message for the ambition that MLS has because of his age um, and because of his, his, the potential that is still there for this player in his association with the, international, with the uh, Italian international uh, uh, national team. Yeah, Juvenco turned 28 years old today, so he certainly got you know, plenty left in, in those little legs of his. Um, the question is, and, and should... You know, when, when do MLS fans stop stop concerning themselves with things like 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 international call-ups for guys who make this type of move? I mean, the Jermaine Defoe thing when he was here, when he was well, when he was in Canada playing with TFC, there was a lot of question whether he'd make the World Cup team. That's that's a very high standard. But for Giovinco to get a call up to the Italian national team from MLS, and this is a country with a history of not calling up anybody that's playing outside of Syria. That would mean something. I just, I, I feel like we put too much stuff, put too much stock into those kind of things. We do, but you know, we and and is it, does it change everything? No, but but it is important, and it is because we 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 constantly try to do this compare and contrast, and 
nobody overseas recognizes how good MLS can be and the level that it actually is. And to be quite honest, they, they, they shouldn't. So they're just, they're just basing it on what they've heard, certainly to a, to a certain set of, of what they've seen, but that, that is their perception. So when a player is called into a national team, and the national team, it, it's, it's, it's pretty clear-cut. You don't just call people into the national team just to call them in. You call them in because you believe they are good. And if they are associated with a league that has the perception of being a lower level, that is a good message. That is something important. And then that, that is a feather in the cap of whatever MLS team has this player. And in, in, uh, uh, in terms of the league, having a player called in. So, yeah, you want it because, once again, of this message that it sends. And, and it, goes, yeah. it certainly plays into the inferiority complex that, uh, that we have about our soccer and about, uh, and about our league. And I get that. But um, it, is, it is a good thing. And it is something to celebrate. But don't, don't be constantly... Um, don't be put off if it doesn't happen, uh, and don't be constantly waiting for it to happen. Either right. way, that the league's going to yeah. go on, TFC is going to go on, and uh, um, and hopefully do good things on the field for for, for those fans who deserve it, uh, but also for the league, given how much money. I, I suppose. I suppose what a lot of it is the way that MLS itself and the, and the you know the office in New York kind of kind of takes these things and blows them up as big as they possibly can. I mean, and that's their job. On, 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 I mean, they're supposed to promote the league. This is uh, about selling the product, but it, it gives off this vibe of desperation. And I, I don't know, I mean, as you said, there's an yeah. Inferiority, yeah. inferiority complex working for American soccer fans, and then there's a little bit of desperation. All right, last thing before yeah, I let yeah. you go. Sometimes you got to act like you've been there before. Yes, exactly. You know? Exactly, yes. Last thing before I let you go. Um, I'm starting to become focused almost uh, exclusively on the CBA, Alexi, and mostly because I'm a selfish guy, <laughs> and I don't want yeah. I don't want my soccer delayed, canceled, moved. I I want to be able to watch uh, games on March 6th or the game on March 6th, and then into that weekend. Am, uh, do you believe we're in any danger of a stoppage? Uh, there's a lot of rhetoric this week. It's early, and, yeah. the, and the players are staying on message. Yeah, I mean, but I think it's strategic. Uh, I think there is a recognition on on both sides that, um, from a, from an MLS standpoint, from an MLS side, that they don't want free agency, and they've made that very very clear. From a, a player side, they say uh, free agency is uh, the thing that we are going to hang our hat on. I think the players understand and know that um, they at some point will give up on at least the full and complete free agency, uh, and in doing so, make it up on the other side in terms of minimum salary and salary cap and all that. I think everybody on both sides actually understands that, but if you scream and yell about free agency being uh, the, uh, the most important part of it, and then at some point give that back up, um, you use that to your advantage because publicly you are saying, fine, we won't take that, but you have to make us uh, but you have to come to us uh, on the other side of it. And I think ultimately that's where this uh, this will come down. And I think that's why this has been so public this week uh, from the players. At the same time, though, I feel like they're walking things back just a little bit. I mean, you get the question of Michael Bradley, is free agency worth striking over? And he says, absolutely. And then we get statements that, uh, you know, it's oh, it's too it's too early and it's premature and, and we shouldn't be talking about a work stoppage yet. And certainly the league is on that. That's their stance right now. Mark Abbott consistently saying it's too early to talk about a work stoppage. Does that, uh, does that damage the, the players? Um, you know, does it, that damage their leverage at all? And, 
you're you're right now calling. Um, well, uh, no, I think they. You know, at some point they have to. It's just the course of events. That's that's you, that's what you do. At some point you drop that. Was it done too early? No. Um, I think they ha- they have to get that out and and show their intent. Um, you know, when 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 Michael Bradley talks about it, though, uh, oh, that's great. He, he makes plenty of money and has made plenty of money. It's it's the players who, when those paychecks stop coming, and it starts to affect them individually and their teams, not their teams, and their well, it is their team actually, their their family. Um, that that's those are the types of of people and those are the voices yeah. that are the most important in this discussion. Not Michael Bradley. Yeah, it, it, it certainly the the. I mean, I don't mean to minimize them, but the rank and file are the guys that are really going to be hurting if there is a stoppage and they're not getting paid. So those are the ones who really should be, uh, you know. And, and but they're not they're not the name, Alexi. They're not the guys who are going to make headlines with their statements. So that's the balance here. And I I, I talked to Bobby Warshaw on Friday. Obviously, a guy who played in MLS is no longer at MLS, and he's 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 been making calls around the league, and what he's hearing. Um, is is that the players really believe they got screwed the last time around, and that's why I'm a little f- afraid here. He also he also made the point that when he was in player union meetings as an MLS player, he felt like maybe the leadership was a just a little bit out of touch with the guys who were making forty five. Mm-hmm. Is that well? Look, I mean, if if Michael Bradley wants to uh, spend the money that he has and help everybody during that time. Uh, that would be great. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 look, Michael Bradley is, is, is a voice uh, and an important voice, and you need the big profile players to stand up. And, in, and it, to be quite honest, it's easier for them uh, to stand up. But as I said before, they are at the tip of the iceberg, and they are a very, very small percentage and a very fortunate small percentage of the actual players. And the union is not, is not there to do what's best for the high-paid players. The union is to do what's best for all of the players. And when the majority of the players aren't making those that types of money, um, and they start to feel the pinch, and they start to feel uh, a problem, it can it, it can become a problem very very quickly. And action happens very very quickly when those types of uh, those types of things happen. Uh, I still think that they will get together. It'll probably come down to the wire. Um, but I think that it is very. The good thing is that it's very, very clear. I think on both sides as to as to what they want. Um, and, and I'm not just saying the public part of it. I think even behind the scenes, there's an understanding of what they want. Um, and it's like any negotiation, it's going to come down to uh, what you want as opposed to what you are willing to take. And I think regardless, the players are going to come out uh, with a much, much better deal, much further along, and they can look back and say between this deal and the previous deal that they've made incredible strides. Are they going to get everything they want? Absolutely not. Are they going to get free agency? Uh, no. Uh, and they might, they might get a, a limited version of it uh, in this continual clawback that's going to happen. But regardless, I think that they will be proud uh, and can raise their hands and say, hey, we did, we did what was best for all the players, not just the high-play players. Okay, I see what you're saying. It's probably likely to happen again. You know, you hear the rhetoric, and even your even if your better judgment says they'll get together eventually, you start to worry, Alexi. It's hard not to. And this is uh, this is still a league that occasionally gets tagged with, well, it might fail one day. And I think we're past that. Yeah, but I don't, I don't. But Jason, I also look. I don't, I don't want it to happen. I don't want a work stoppage to happen. But you know what? This league, if there's a work stoppage, these are big boy problems. 
And yeah, this true. league will continue on. It won't be the end of the world. This is the world. The sky will not fall if there is a work stoppage. Yes, you'll take your hits, especially from the mainstream media. Uh, now that they look at MLS and look what they're doing and they're shooting themselves in the foot and all that. No, that, that, that won't happen. It won't be the end of the world. Will it be, it, it, will it be detrimental? Yeah, but they'll, they'll figure it out. And these are the types of problems, if you are major, and these are the types of problems that major sports leagues have. Hmm. Do, do you think, last thing here, do you believe that the players need to get some of what they want? I mean, I'm not talking full free agency, but certainly getting a, a stepping ahead with some of these things and taking some of the shackles off the teams when it comes to spending in order for the league to get where Garber keeps talking about being and, and some of these owners claim to want to be. I mean, it, it seems to me that this is almost a Band-Aid situation for some of these older owners who may be conservative in what they want to spend. But in order for MLS to really take that next step, there's got to be some progress on that front. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fascinating meeting for me is the owner meeting uh, in terms of what they want because I think that there is a, a, a real <laughs> not a disagreement, but just a difference of opinion when it comes to where this league should be uh, with regards to how much money teams are able to spend, with regards to the restrictions on teams. Um, and, and and I think that there are owners that want to push it much, much farther than it is. And there are certainly owners that will, will stand up and say, look, the reason why we got into this was because of the structure and because of the limitations that have enabled us individually, but more importantly, collectively, to survive all of this time. And if we start, once again, uh, taking things away and easing these restrictions, then it's a slippery slope, and we get to the point that we've been trying to avoid all along. Now, it, it, you get to that point after 20-plus years, are you able to uh, withstand that type of uh, scenario much better than you were 20 years ago? Absolutely. But is it fundamentally completely different than the, than the league that you bought into and what you were promised? These are the types of the things that the mm -hmm. owners all of them have to figure out. And it's easy to come into the league now as an owner and say, yeah, we should do this, and I should be able to do this. Well, where were you in 1996? And th right. those are the types of conversations that are happening in that room as to, as to what they want to do. But I, I, I do think that the salary cap will increase um, and that the teams, once again, will be given more leeway to go out and do what they feel is appropriate in their market for their, uh, for their uh, brand. Hey, Alexi Lalas from Fox Sports joining us talking U-20s and certainly MLS and the CBA. Alexi, appreciate your time from your, from your kitchen this morning. Hopefully we'll have you back on soon. And, uh, again, congratulations on the move to, to Fox. Thank, thank you very much, Jason. We, uh, we're doing the U.S.-Chile game on Wednesday, so our, uh, our first U.S. men's national team game. Uh, with myself and uh, Rob Stone and Eric Winalda and uh, Stuart Holmes going to join us too. Sweet. So we're off to the races when it comes to uh, U.S. Uh, men's soccer this year. Uh, and obviously we have the Women's World Cup and uh, and then MLS is upon us. I think we're 39 days out from MLS. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even preview USA Chile. We'll, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll talk to you after the fact when there's actually uh, evidence on the field, what Klinsman's doing and, and what some of these players are capable of. Appreciate the time, Alexi. Thanks a lot, man. Sounds good. Anytime. Right. There we go. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, do the Twitter thing, finish up this episode on a Monday. Soccer morning. Backheel.com. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we are on a snowy Sunday mor- Sunday? Monday morning, excuse me, on the East Coast anyway, Mid-Atlantic, Northeast. Mid-Atlantic's really not getting hit real hard. I think three to five inches is the, uh, is the projected snowfall in my particular area, and that's not a lot. I, I know it's not a lot. It's enough to bring everything to a screeching halt. It's enough to stop the world around here. Uh, it's not, if you live in Minnesota, if you live in Colorado, if you live in Montana, Idaho, Washington, whatever, some portions of California, Michigan, Ohio, you're like three to five inches. That's nothing. I know it's nothing. I'm not the one who controls how people are terrible drivers. That's not my fault. Here we go. And it's raining in, in, in portions of the area as well. So, uh, yeah, even that's enough to stop traffic in dc sometimes three four seven seven five six six two seven six is your phone number let's go to the phone lines nine one seven you're on the air who's this hey jason bill from rockland county what's up bill i had a question about the cba yes sir don't get i don't get the whole thing with the free agency it works in baseball because there is no salary cap so these players are going to make so much more money because of free agency but in MLS, with such a strict salary cap, if the best 30 players all want to go to L.A., they just can't do it. No, of course not. It doesn't not. work. They're not going to Of course not. They're not going to get, they can't pay them. Yeah, but we're not talking about, we're not talking about some massive increase in salaries that would come through the season. I think that's probably the player's argument. We, you can give us free agency because we are talking about a closed system with a limited salary budget. So there's only so much money to go around anyway. But what what free agency does is just allow a guy to pick where he wants to go if he's got an offer. Because that right now that can't happen. Now there has to be a trade for the rights, and sometimes that let's say a holdup for uh, a player wanting to make a move. Look, I I I think free agency probably isn't going to happen, as Alexi said. But I don't know that it, that the damage done is as bad as you might think. Now, what you would have would have happen is if you've got a competition for a player. If one guy has a couple of teams coming after him, you're going to see some salaries go up in, in certainly the middle class of MLS. And that's that's a good thing on one level, but it also means you're paying more money for the same talent. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying, Bill. It's it's not going to be an explosion. Yeah, that's why I just I don't get why they're sticking on that. That's their point. If we don't get that, we're striking. Because, well, I, it's a, that I think it, should be worried about. Okay, well, like, you for me, I Go before you argument should be the salary cap. You know, the salary cap is what's going to help the middle player. Okay. You know, the, the guys that are in America that have been playing all these years, and now, you know, we can't keep them. They can't stay at Red Bull. They can't stay wherever. We have to get rid of them because now they're making, I don't know, 200 grand, and we can't pay that. Okay. I, I, I agree so with I you, think, but, the, but I, I think... I think those are the guys... I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I think you're right. I, the, the salary cap is the the salary cap is the issue for the players in the in the in the sense that the more money is available to each team, the more money the players are going to make. But free agency will also give them. Again, I think that's a matter of principle more than anything else, Bill. It's not necessarily like, hey, you know, I think free agency in MLS will mean I'll make 100 percent more than I did on my previous contract. I think it's simply if a team wants me, if I'm out of contract, if I don't have a contract. 
and a team and two teams want me, I should be able to choose where I want to go rather than having to go through the re-entry draft. I shouldn't I shouldn't have to wait for somebody else to decide where I'm going to go play. Yeah, I do understand that. But to me, everything comes down to dollars and cents. I mean, all these the contracts and all these players. They're going to go whoever pays them the most. I don't care where it is. Like, look at these guys all coming back in MLS. They're all coming back because they're making a lot more money here. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's like another thing that I worry about with the DPs now, like with Toronto spending all of this money on these three DPs. What's going to happen eventually? Toronto's going to have to raise their ticket price, and then the supporters are they going to be the ones paying for this? When I almost think this DP thing, drop it down to two. Everybody keeps saying, oh, go to four. Even I heard somebody even say, go to five. Bring it to two and then double the salary cap. Even triple the salary cap. Because for a lot of these teams, it's probably the same amount of money that they're spending if they didn't have to spend $6 million on one player. Well, now they the, can spread it out on the, other players and pay them more. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there are other ways to do it. I mean, you could raise the salary cap and then raise the maximum salary with the, uh, you know, the, the maximum on budget salary so that you wouldn't even have to, like, you keep the number of DPs at three, raise the, the maximum you're allowed to play, pay a player who's not a DP to, you know, 750, as long as you raise the salary cap a commensurate amount to cover for that. So then you you yeah. you can still pay a guy six million dollars if you want, but now you have more options at within the salary budget to pay guys who aren't DPs when they're five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand dollar players. Yep. Yeah, I hear you. You got anything else, Bill? Anyway, uh, well, I, I can go on forever about uh, the Red Bulls. Okay. Younger and younger, and then they're talking about now getting rid of Matt Miata. No, I know that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And 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 I, okay, now you're on the record as not liking that move potentially. Uh, but uh, let me ask you about Cahill. Let's say Cahill jumps for the uh, jump ship and goes to the UAE. How do you feel about Tim Cahill as a New York Red Bull? Uh, I th- he was. I really thought he could have been one of the best ones we've ever had as far as DP. And something happened. I don't know what happened behind closed doors, but the guy's a class act. I thought he would have been awesome here. He was great to the fans. Every time we had like one of our meet and greets to the players, he was always one of the best ones there. And I don't know what happened. And I feel bad. I really wish they could have worked something out and keep him. But obviously, after that town hall meeting, he's not coming back. Yeah. yeah now they exactly. made that pretty clear. And that's the same. Because I really, I thought the guy was a class act. I thought he would be great here. Look what he did in the, their uh, Asian Cup. I mean, the guy's still a guy. He's still got more talent than 90% of the players. In this league, and it's a shame that we're going to lose him. I would have loved to have kept. Bill, appreciate the you phone know, call, man. Time here is going to be a disappointment. Yeah, it's a, it is a little bit of a disappointment. There was a brief period. Thanks for the phone call, Bill. There's a brief period where Tim Cahill sort of again embodied the New York Red Bulls. Was what the Red Bulls were supposed to be. It was all about heart and soul. Was sort of carrying them a couple of game winning goals, and it felt really good. Tim Cahill was what he was supposed to be in a New York Red Bulls uniform, and then it kind of kind of went sideways. It didn't work out. He didn't have a position. He didn't work within the system. When you are losing out your starting spot to guys like Eric Eric Alexander, and no offense to Eric Alexander, when you are not in the lineup and Eric, Eric Alexander is, it tells you something. It tells you something about where you fit. And again, Pecky is the one who made that decision. And he saw this, and I don't know that this is the fallout over international duty for Cahill or not, 
but he certainly saw his team as more effective without Tim Cahill than with it. And, and, I, and I think it's fascinating to look at the different dynamics that you have with, with Australia, where Tim Cahill is, he is the talisman. He is a god. He is everything. He, the, he has to be playing for Australia. And then you look at his club situation with the Red Bulls, and it just wasn't the same thing. And I don't know you where, where to assign the blame for that. It's just a fascinating little element of, of, of the difference between club soccer and international soccer. Absolutely fascinating. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning on a Monday. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Alexi Lawless for a fascinating discussion. Go over to iTunes, please. Leave us a rating and a review. Helps us stay in uh, the public eye out there in the ranking things that they do. I don't know what their algorithms are, but I know ratings and reviews have something to do with it. If you go to 3NLFC.com, you can buy a T-shirt, Soccer Morning, cool logo, sun, soccer ball. It's the greatest. If you go to backheel.com slash store, you can buy a mug. I think that's going to do it. Thank you very much again. Talk to you on Tuesday. Later. Later.